Welcome to the Grit and Wit podcast, a show for ambitious female business owners that want to grow irresistible brands. If you're running a business and juggling family commitments and often your sanity, well, you're in the right place. I'm Liz from Elevate and I'm your host. I'll be chatting with inspiring guests who are sharing their stories and practical advice to help you navigate the highs and lows of building a business with grit and wit. and welcome to the episode. I'm thrilled that you're here. So today we're going to be talking about how to set your freelance rates. And obviously, if you're running a business where you're employing people already, this is not the episode for you. This is for consultants, coaches, freelancers, designers, people that need to work out how to set their freelance rates. Now, the first thing we need to do when we're looking at our rates is to consider our geography. So we know for a fact that if you live in a city, you're going to be paid more. The cost of living is higher, everything is more expensive, and the rates of pay are generally higher. So have a look at where you live and think about what the likelihood of you being paid the same as somebody living in a big city is. The next thing to really think about is the type of work that you're doing. And you need to do some research here. You need to think about how many other people are doing that type of work in your location and we want to try and find out what other people are charging. So we get some kind of benchmark and we get some kind of idea of what the rates are from this to this, for instance. And of course, it was gonna very much depend on your experience and your expertise. So somebody who's a graduate or maybe has had a pivot in their career and they're starting out something fresh, you're not gonna be able to charge as much as somebody who's been doing it for 10 years. That's just the way the world works, unfortunately. (laughs) If you're starting out, though, it's quite probable you're scratching your head and you're thinking, well, I'm not quite sure where to start with this. You may have come from a corporate career where you're paid a salary, you're an employee, you're paid for your sick days, you're paid for your holidays. Working for yourself is quite different. There's lots of other things that we need to consider. There is a very good online calculator called Your Rate, and I will link it in the show notes that you can use to kind of give you an overall benchmark, I suppose, of the kind of hourly rate you might be looking at. So the things that we need to consider, we need to work out your running costs at a bare minimum. What do you need to earn to be able to keep the lights on, to be able to keep the business afloat and running? This is just to make no money in the business. It's just the essential costs for actually running the business. And people often overlook lots of things when they're working out this calculation. So you might think about including things like professional fees, memberships to things, legal or accountancy fees. Perhaps you've got your website and you've got your domain and your hosting. Maybe there's lots of stationery. You have perhaps banking fees, PayPal fees, software subscriptions, creative cloud, that kind of thing. You also need to kind of think about things like health insurance. You may have had health or dental insurance included when you were working full time, but actually now you're working for yourself, you're going to have to pay for that yourself. And that all needs to come and be part of your essential sort of running costs. It's all the things that you actually feel you have to have in order to be able to run your business successfully. Now, once we've worked out what our overheads are, and of course, if you have a premises of some sort, then you've got lots of different overheads, electricity and all of those kind of other things. But once we've worked out what our overheads are, we need to think about what our salary we would like to earn is. Now, if you're leaving a corporate job, it might be that you're just trying to earn the same as 
the money you're earning before, or perhaps you're looking to create a better balance in your lifestyle and to be able to have more leisure time. So perhaps you're happy to take a slight cut in your in your salary because you know that you're not going to be working the same hours or perhaps under the same pressure. And so we're going to work out a figure for our ideal sort of salary, what we think is actually reasonable. We have to remember at this stage to not forget the taxes, okay? £100,000 after tax is very different to £100,000 that you need to earn in order to take that money home. So once you've worked out your salary, perhaps you're looking, I don't know, maybe it's kind of £60,000. Work out the calculation for the tax on that, whether that's corporate tax or personal tax, and make sure you add the tax in at this stage. Then what you want to do is you want to add together those overheads or your business running costs. You want to add that to your salary and you want to add that to your taxes. You also want to make sure you don't forget any kind of insurances as well. And if you're running a limited company, you want to think about the kind of profit that you might like in your business. So you might want to add in your profit at this stage too. Once you've done that, the next step is to see how many billable hours you actually have. Now, it's very tempting and a lot of people come unstuck with this to be in that kind of corporate sort of mindset from when you were in a job and you thought, right, okay, well, I was working, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week, and this was my salary. And so what you do is you kind of work out what you'd like your salary to be now and you divide it by the number of hours you were working previously wrong, wrong, wrong. (laughs) You're going to come unstuck very quickly because of course, for one, you haven't included your overheads and your running costs. For two, you haven't included anything like your holidays, your sick days, any of those kind of days that you won't be working. So what we need to do is we need to actually sit down with a calendar or a diary and we need to work out how many days are we actually working in a year. So if you've got children, you might not want to be working for the school, school holidays. You might want to take some time off. You might have mums into school days or inset days. Work out exactly how many days in a year you have to work. And the way I do this is I've got a big block planner and it's a kind of big printed sheet that I bought from Etsy and it was designed by doodlelovedesigns.co.uk and it shows me a year at a glance. And what I've done is I've got my highlighter pens out and I've I've highlighted all the school holidays and all the inset days and stuff. And then I'm able to count up very easily the number of days that are left over that are sort of the work days because I try not to work all school holidays. And then I've I've got a figure for how many days I've got as my working week, if you like. The thing to remember, though, is that they're not all billable hours. So once I've calculated how many days I've got, I've got to then add in time for admin, for phone calls, for meetings, for lunch, you know, all of these things come out of that time that that 40 hours a week say is not all billable time. So let's have a think about how many billable hours we have in a day. So perhaps you're working an eight hour day, it's likely that you've got more like something around five and a half hours perhaps, or if you're working in between school hours, then of course that day's going to be reduced. If you've got young babies and you're working during nap time, well, (laughs) hats off to you. It's hard work, but you've probably got two hours. (laughs) Once we've worked out that though, we can work out how many billable hours in a day. We know how many days we've got. We can then make that calculation to see how many hours in a year we have. Now, the very simple calculation is to add together the target annual income plus the business expenses and divide that by your billable hours. 
And that's going to give you a figure. I think I mentioned that you also need to make sure that when you're doing your block planner, for instance, you'll come out with a figure, a number of days that you you have to work, but take some off for holiday, take some off for sick time, take some off for travel. So once you do that calculation, I'll say it again, it's the target annual income plus your business expenses and divide that by your billable hours. That's going to give you a kind of real ballpark figure for what your hourly rate should be. Of course, all of this depends on your geography, on your industry, and also on how you decide to charge. It's a good calculation to do though. So you have that figure in your mind and you kind of know what your minimum hourly rate should be. There are two, possibly three distinct ways in which to charge. You could either charge by the hour or you could charge by the project. And there are pros and cons for both. And the the debate rages on online about this. In a nutshell, the kind of problem with doing hourly, and lots of people do do hourly, especially people that are coaches, for instance, the problem with that is that you're really limited by the number of hours you have in the day. So you can only be paid for those billable hours. You can only be paid for the number of hours you actually have in a year. If you're pricing by project, it's slightly different because it doesn't matter how long that project takes you. If you work fast, if you're super efficient, you might end up working less on that project than you would if you were charging by the hour. You'd end up making more money, basically. I suggest for most people, most businesses, it's a good idea to have a look at being value-based. So pricing per project, pricing on a result. So if we always focus on the result, what is it that your client is getting that they can't get in-house, they haven't got somebody to do it, they haven't got those skills themselves, what are the problems that you're solving for them? And it's often a false economy for somebody to go to a cheaper freelancer because they are probably less experienced. It'll probably take them more time and it will end up potentially costing more or will have to be redone. So what are the what are the expertise that you bring to the table? What can you do better that, than somebody else? Let's focus on that. Let's focus on the results and the value that your client is getting. You need to be charging for your expertise. Now, the limitations for charging on a per project basis are, of course, scope creep. So you may come up with a scope for your project and have a sort of fixed spec on what that looks like and what the client will get for that. And you might find that that happens, you know, in a much quicker time than you had anticipated. So you're actually being paid more per hour than you imagined you would be. The opposite is also true. It might end up taking a lot longer and clients have a real knack of changing their mind, making revisions. Oh, can you just do this? I'm sure it won't take you long. Could you just add that in? And all of these things add to this scope creep where things are outside of the original scope, but you're not earning money for that. But you kind of feel like you probably should do it because you want to keep the client and you don't want to be seen as awkward. (laughs) All of these things. I always find it's a really good idea to outline at the beginning in a contract exactly what a client's going to be getting, what the value is that and the results are that they're going to get. And most other industries, people are doing this. But I think often when we're freelance or working for ourselves, this can be a step that kind of gets overlooked. And we might feel a bit awkward about it initially. If we can kind of create a really watertight spec and a really watertight contract, it means that we have a lot more ability to push back when we're being asked to do things that are outside of that scope. Another limitation with hourly rates or pricing per hour is often that 
if you're very good at something and you are experienced and you have got years of sort of expertise and experience behind you, you can actually end up doing a job in half the time that it would take somebody who is less experienced and being paid half the amount of money that the less experienced person would be. So you're basically kind of penalizing yourself for being efficient. And of course, from a client's perspective, there's really no reason for you to be efficient if you're being paid by the hour. So the perception is that you might just make things take a bit longer because you're being paid anyway. And perception really does come into play with pricing in a big way, because if you think about it, if somebody said to you, that they were going to create something for you. Perhaps they're going to create an illustration of some sort for your brand. And they said, this illustration is going to cost £500. You would consider to yourself how long you imagine that might take somebody. And you would decide whether you felt that was a fair price based on that outcome. If, however, they said to you, I'm going to spend an hour on this and it's going to cost £500, you would feel that that was very expensive because that means their hourly rate is £500. But if they were just to say to you, this is going to be the outcome and not tell you how long it's going to take, you've got to judge whether the outcome is worth the money or not, as opposed to whether that person is being greedy on their hourly rate. It's just human nature. And I wish it would just take an hour to earn £500. That would be nice. (laughs) It was just an example. Once you've got all this information, it's going to be much easier for you to set some freelance rates. And these are often quite fluid, especially at the beginning. You're going to try something out and you're going to see if people are biting your hand off to work with you at that rate, you're probably too cheap. You need to put your prices up. Conversely, if you're finding it very, very difficult to find clients and people are sort of being put off, you think, by the rates, perhaps you are just outside of the sort of industry standards, the industry norm. So again, you need to go back and do some more research and just check that you're still within the kind of parameters of what's expected. And then it's just a case of trying it out, isn't it? It's a case of working with a few clients and tracking your hours and working out whether what you're charging and what you perceive as being the right amount of time that a project will take is actually how long it's taking you. And you need to make some tweaks and some adjustments there on in. The last thing to think about really is how you're going to get paid. And as a freelancer, this is really key because cash flow can often be a problem. So lots of big companies will work on a 30 day sort of lead time for being paid. Some of them are 60 and some of them are 90. So if you're working with businesses, you're not going to be paid for 30 to 90 days after you've done the work or delivered the work. That can be a real problem. (laughs) So think about how you want to get paid. Perhaps you're going to take a deposit. Perhaps you're going to do half of the money up front, or perhaps you're going to do all of the money up front. Now, when I first started, I started off by doing half the money up front, and the other half was then on completion of the job. Now, I always bill my clients in advance for the entire amount. And that way, I also find that I'm getting a lot less in the way of people trying to move things timing wise. People understand that once they've kind of paid that money and they've got skin in the game, then actually they're they're much more committed. And unless there's obviously a real problem, which of course we're flexible on these things, but unless there's a real problem, they're less likely to try and move the goalposts as you go. 
Another way to charge is obviously to take a retainer. So you're basically charging your clients for blocks of time. And that might work really well for your business. And of course, another thing you can do is you can ask your client what their budget is. And this is a bit of a game of poker. It's like when you're buying a house and neither side wants to blink first. Sometimes your client does not want to divulge what their budget is because they think you're going to just increase your quote to fit their budget. So bigger businesses will generally have a a fixed budget for something. Perhaps they have a marketing budget. But when when you're working with individuals, people tend to like you to tell them what your prices are and to be really transparent about that. No hidden costs, no sort of unexpected nastiness. And in my experience, people prefer to just know what they're in for, what they're going to be liable for. And my clients, I just charge them a fixed cost And that includes all my expenses. It includes all my travel. The only thing it doesn't include is airfares and hotel prices, which I charge at cost. The rest of it is all included. And I've just made sure that my pricing is able to absorb any of those costs within the project. And so that's it for today. I wish you the best of luck with setting your freelance rates. Do take a look at the Eurate online calculator. There's tons more information out there, which you can just Google. But be bold, be brave. Don't sell yourself short. I see so many women, and this is really much more of a women's issue, I think, than than for the men, where they've been in a really good business, a really good career, have tons of experience. Maybe they have children, they leave their work, their confidence takes a bit of a knock. And then when they start off, with a freelance business or working for themselves they massively massively undervalue what they do and they sell their skills short don't do that try and be bold and brave and try and get comfortable with money and if you find talking about money difficult then perhaps there's a bit of work to do there but best of luck and do let me know how you get on